Hello, everybody. The show is starting in one minute. Just a couple quick announcements. My new series, uh, Insane or Inspired, that I'm on with a bunch of other funny comedians on Sci-Fi Network, airs every Friday at 10 p.m. Check your local listings and watch that for the next five weeks or so. And um, also a couple road dates I want to make you aware of. I'll be at Comedy Juice Hollywood tonight, June 6th. I'll be at Comedy Juice Ice House, Pasadena, June 21st. Irvine Improv Comedy Juice, June 26th. And I'll be in Washington State at the the Tacoma Comedy Club, July 12th through the 14th, and the Vortex, Laughing Skull the Vortex in Atlanta, Georgia, Midtown, the 19th through 22nd of July. But this weekend, I will be at the American Comedy Company in San Diego, AmericanComedyCo.com for tickets. The American Comedy Company this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, June 7th through 9th. So please check that out. Come and enjoy a show. And... um It'll be a good time. We'll be hanging out, and uh, it'll be fun for us to, you know, just hug each other and hold each other. Don't you think? I won't hold anybody who doesn't want to be held, I promise. Okay, uh, the show's starting right now. George W. Bush and Obama hang out. Are large sodas becoming illegal? Tuna goes nuclear. Women sell sex for McDonald's hamburgers. Obama and Romney spar over who's worse at creating jobs. Are humans getting superhuman vision? Mubarak gets life in prison. What the hell is a diamond jubilee? Cannibals attack and the government says if zombies are real. Plus Twitter answers and the thunder round. All this and more during the... Last week on Earth with Ben Gleed. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my God, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm like the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Make it nasty. 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 That's a hip-hop song I just heard on the radio right now. That's apparently what it takes to write a song these days. Just have one very stupid phrase and repeat it for the entire duration of the song. I'm Ben Gleave. Thank you for listening to Last Week on Earth. This is it. Uh, we're brought to you this week by Making It Nasty. Um, it's easy to do. You just say it. And then you, and then you just do it. Make it as nasty as you can. Please. I really hope that you guys do. I had an interesting week. Um... Most notably, I went to the Radio Music Awards. The M- I said that wrong. I went to the MTV Movie Awards, what I meant to say, on Sunday. And um, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, the band Fun opened the show. They were great. And the show was kind of downhill from there, I'd say. Um, my seats were not great. They were fine. They were nice. But the show made a big error in... Uh, not having any monitors or, or big screens projecting the show for people who didn't have, like, first 10-row seats. So I was pretty far back there in the Universal Amphitheater, 
And I could not see anybody. I mean, I literally could not recognize one of these celebrities presenting, which makes it kind of silly being there because now you're just hearing like regular people who they tell you are famous making very awkward banter. Uh, no frills show. These MTV Awards, movie awards used to be this big spectacle with, you know, huge pre-taped video bits, all kinds of cool stuff. And this year it was like, seemed like it was a chore to them. All right, we got to do the awards, hand out some awards. Johnny Depp sang. That was interesting. If you know, for Depp fans out there, I don't find him as dreamy as a lot do. Um, think the man could wash his hair, but you know, I'm not the one deciding these things. Um, also, ate way too much food. Um, uh, yeah, so that you know was also a mistake. I ate an enormous amount of food. They let you bring your food in, so I gained seven pounds of nachos and rock hard churros. A woman gave me a rock-hard churro, and I'm like, hell no, gave it back. And then she's like, I'm so sorry, here's two free semi-rock-hard churros. So they were still not good. Then Emma Stone got the Trailblazer Award. Uh, a little young, maybe, for like some award like that, but I guess she's blazing a trail for female actresses of a certain type. And I like Emma Stone. Funny video introducing her. Went up there, though, and her speech, I like Emma Stone, but her speech was a little bit ridiculous. She was up there in front of everybody, and she was basically saying, um, you know, the people I've looked up to, the Gilda Radners, the Ben Stillers, the Steven Spielbergs, the I'm not like any of them. I'm unique. And her message was that we should all be unique. And then she tried to cover it. She's like, I'm not saying I should even be in that group. I'm just saying, because she realized she sounded ridiculous. But, um, yeah, she's totally unique being an actress and whatnot. It's difficult to do that. You have to memorize the lines and then do the part, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Um, so, you know, that happened. Um, Mayor Bloomberg, in the news this week, I always kick right into the world events, since that's what the podcast is mostly about. Mayor Bloomberg decides to ban large sodas in New York City. The mayor of New York plans to enact a far-reaching ban on the sale of large sodas and other sugary drinks at restaurants, movie theaters, and street carts. It's his largest attempt yet to combat rising obesity in the city. Um, it would affect pretty much the whole menus of popular sugary drinks you'd see in delis or fast food places or even sports arenas. Um, includes also coffees, pre-sweetened iced teas. You can't anymore buy them once this goes into effect for any size larger than 16 ounces, about the size of a medium coffee. Um, it'd be the first in the nation to ban a certain size of soda. Could take effect as soon as next March. Um, it would not apply to diet sodas because the mayor is cool with you putting chemicals in your body that will cause cancers and heart disease. He just doesn't want you plump. He wants more breathing room on the subways. You know, and I think it's ridiculous for the mayor. Mayor's a very skinny, gaunt man. Maybe that's the way he likes his shape to be. I prefer people a little plumper. You're on a subway. That subway hits an immediate break because there's a young, uh, a young child in the tracks, and the superhero has to jump in and save him. I'd like cushioning. So when I bump up against people, I'm not smacking bone. I'm not getting Bloomberg-style bony-ass elbows in my face. I'm getting someone's nice, cushy bosoms or buttocks or side fat. To cushion my fall. Then you want emergency breaks. All of a sudden, it's like a moon bounce in there. We'll talk more about superheroes later in the podcast. Um, but the mayor said, New York City is not about wringing your hands. It's about doing something. And I think that's what the public wants the mayor to do. 
There's some pushback, man. People don't like their freedoms being revoked, especially when it comes to getting fatter. We like the freedom to get as fat as we can in this country. And I think we're entitled to that freedom as Americans, not Americans. That's the oldest line in the world, and I'm sorry that I said it to you, but it's cool. Um, Kofi Annan heads back to Syria to meet with Bashar al-Assad, the leader of that country who's killing everybody over there. Not nice of him to do that. Kofi Annan, UN Special Envoy, former head of the UN, trying to make a name for himself, create some peace there. Had the peace plan. Assad agreed to it. Went into effect. Killing didn't stop. So uh, I wouldn't say that's particularly peaceful when the killing continues. Um, so he's going back there. There was a huge massacre recently um, where all these women and children were killed and all these people were killed. And so it looks very bad for Kofi Annan's peace plan, at the very least. He heads back there. How's that talk going to go, you think? Anon's going to say to Assad, you're jacking up my peace plan, bro. Brosif. Brosephine Baker, seriously. You're making me look bad. Plus killing innocent people and whatnot. The New York Times reports Kofi Annan began his negotiations again in Syria on Monday. Um, but Russia, one of Syria's allies, said the government should take most of the blame for the massacre at Hula. Um which is one of the first times Russia or China is saying anything negative about Syria. They've been against the UN putting any kind of real uh, action in place against Syria. They say it's their own country, let them do their own thing. Well, because also China and Russia are pretty damn shady, and they want to set precedent of the UN not unilaterally going in and taking action in countries that are doing shady shit. They want to have a little fat person buffer cushion zone for their own shady shit. So that's understandable. Um, but, you know, I think at some point the government has to realize we're killing our own people. The world's getting pissed off. They're going to attack and eventually kill us. We should maybe stop at this point. We've proved our point, I think. Um, but that's not the way the world's seeing it. So what the world's also doing, led by the U.S. finally taking a hard line on this, the U.S. and a bunch of other countries are expelling their Syrian diplomats from their countries. U.S. did this. Australia, Canada, Germany, Spain, France, Britain, Italy, all pulling, kicking their diplomats, their Syrian diplomats, out of their respective countries. Um, Assad gave a speech, 70-minute speech to his people, and told those opposed to the government to, quote, drop their weapons at once, and the government will not seek revenge now or later. First of all, at once. What a very old, feudal-style fighting phrase. At once you drop your weapons. It's not going to work. These are, you're killing these people. And really, we're supposed to believe your promise of no revenge when you've been killing people when you promised you wouldn't kill them? I think your promise has lost some of its, of its swagger if I may say so. And it seems now the UN peace plans officially failed because um, the activist group, the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, reported that 80 Syrian soldiers were killed by the rebels over this weekend. Um, they're anti-regime forces, and they said on Monday they're no longer tied to the Kofi Annan peace plan, which failed to stem the bloodshed. And they decided on Friday to start defending their people again, and they killed a bunch of soldiers. So things are not going great over there in Syria. Um, but there's a lot of tumult here in America as well. Mitt Millard Willard Romney blames Obama for job creation, poor job creation, while he did much worse as governor of Massachusetts. 
when he was in charge over there. Obama's campaign has known forever that he has to reassure the American people about their job prospect if he wants to keep his own job. But that got harder on Friday when May's job numbers came out and showed only 69,000 new jobs were created last month, which is far less than had been created in, in months leading up to that, which were in the hundreds of thousands. Unemployment raised again now from 8.1 to 8.2%. That 0.1%, you don't want to see those numbers going up. It's going to really affect his reelection chances. And um, responding to those numbers, Obama said, quote, the economy is not growing as fast as we want it to, but that we will come back stronger. We do have better days ahead. That sounds like a speech you give on a pile of rubble in a deserted city. We will have better days. We, that's, not, that's not hope and change. That's like, shit, uh, I'm sure it'll turn around at some point. There will be marginal increases. So that's not looking great for the Obama re-election campaign. And the Daily Beast reports um, that these statistics of the new bad job numbers form a picture of a national economy that is either one of two things, either lodged securely in second gear, heading back out of the shit, or in danger of stalling. It's a car analogy for you car enthusiasts out there. Um, which of those two describe the future, Daily B says, depends largely on your perspective. Those who read the amorphous tea leaves and see proverbial green shoots in our continued strength we have in the country in manufacturing, stability, national employment is at least stabilizing, um, people take that as a view that things are going fine. Those who read this as an ominous sign and, and see the deterioration of the Eurozone, things are collapsing in Europe, Spain and Greece still struggling enormously, um, they see that as a prelude to a wider global contraction. And they see faltering in China and the United States that seems unable to address its own debt issues. We'll see in these numbers proof that we're at the start of a next dangerous chapter in a global meltdown. So it's either things are going great or it's a global meltdown. It's very different opinions. And you see why we have the dichotomy in our national discourse, because we can't even agree on hard numbers what they mean. Statistics. We're like, I don't know what it means. Here's the math, and math proves either things are crumbling or are wonderful. Oh, boy. And uh, Republicans in Congress not making it any easier, trying to maintain the anger the Tea Party brought to the game. And Mitt Romney, they, they both have a vested interest in portraying the U.S. economy as broken by Obama's policies. Isn't that nice? We have people who are elected to help our country. And much more important to them is winning an election. They're like, listen, if we can... And a huge part of economies are, are psychological. It moves markets, how the country feels. It stops investment, hiring. And they're saying, screw it. We're going to say negative things, make everybody's mood, feel like the country's doing worse and worse, and drop down and down and down just so that we can win an election and have our guy in the, in the, in the nice big house. So that's some bullshit. Um, and Bill Clinton did not help this year at all. Um, this week at all, this last week, by uh, the Obama campaign has been attacking Romney's record when he was in charge of Bain Capital, saying that he, his company was a vampire and his company was just sheerly out to, to uh, make profits and take away jobs by closing all these companies. Bill Clinton goes on CNN and um, says that is not true at all. Here's former President Bill Clinton. I don't think that we ought to get into the position where we say this is bad work. This is good work. There's no question that in terms of getting up and going to the office and, you know, basically performing the 
essential functions of the office, a man who's been governor and had a sterling business career crosses the qualification threshold. Sterling, sterling business career. Well, it's a sterling business career. What he did was he went in there, and as far as sheer numbers, this guy made millions and millions of dollars on the backs of people who desperately needed their jobs. I consider that a sterling career. Uh, most things I love to go out on my own and make bold statements. I like to make the news. And I'm not going to let the Obama campaign tell me what to do. If they're going to tell me to go out there and be a surrogate for their campaign, yes, I'll campaign for them, but I'll campaign for them on Bill Clinton's terms. I'll campaign on them, but I'll also undercut them. Make sure I say a couple things to shake it up. Take them out of the knees a little bit. Then say, now you need Bill's help even more, don't you? And create a shame spiral where the Obama campaign feels they've been emasculated by me, yet at the same time they need me. Because I'm Bill Clinton, the most popular president in quite some time. And I know where, and I'm skinny now, I'm looking good. A little extra jump in my step, God, I miss Big Macs. More on Big Macs later in our McDonald's hamburger sex-related story coming in the Thunder Round later in the show. Um, and senior advisor to Governor Romney, Kevin Mather, on Meet the Press, made the strongest argument against Obama and for Romney that I think can be made right now. Here's that argument. And I think what he did was he came in and changed the culture of the way Massachusetts was not working. And everything that Governor Romney has done, whether it's been the Olympics, whether it's been as governor, whether it's been in the private sector as a businessman, he has helped turn around malfunctioning organizations. And nothing is as big a malfunctioning organization right now, and I think the American people agree, as Washington, D.C. We have to change the way our outlook is, and we get back to a more optimistic outlook as it, com- as it relates to creating jobs in this country. And I think that is something where uh, the American people have felt really let down by President Obama. He promised to change the culture of Washington. He promised to put the economy back on track. He's failed on both of those. All right, so what... Strong argument. That's a strong argument that they're saying basically his whole campaign platform he didn't deliver on because he was... Obama wasn't saying, we're going to have incremental change. He's like, we're going to change the culture. I'm bringing hope and change and a new way to do business in this time of need. And it seems like he got in there, he did some great things, I definitely think, but he also did not bring the sweeping change that he promised. And unless having a black president is enough change, if that's enough change for you, then day one he was finished. He even said in his inauguration speech, remember that he said, he said, uh, change has come to America. Just by him being elected. Maybe that's what he meant. I will bring hope and change. Change of what? The color of the president. Hope for what? Hope that you guys buy that as being good enough. The Diamond Jubilee. Queen Elizabeth over there in Great Britain has her diamond jubilee. What the hell is that? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Do you know? I looked it up. Apparently, and, and we should definitely cover it heavily as CNN is in our country because Piers Morgan's British and they have to kiss his ass for some reason, even though he's a telephone hacker. But that said, he flew there for the diamond jubilee. Apparently, uh, Brits are rejoicing. And it's a word that only applies to Brits. We are rejoicing this evening. We are rejoicing, celebrating the Queen Elizabeth. Can you relax your jaw for two seconds, you damn limey? To my British listeners, I love you, and I don't mean that in a harsh way. I just mean seriously, just relax your jaw. It can't be good. You're going to get TMJ as you grow older. Um, Queen Elizabeth II has been on the throne for 60 years, having inherited the job upon the death of her father, George VI, in 1952. That's the guy who, who was Bertie in the King's Speech. Uh speech problem movie. 
that one best picture. Um, and uh, she's been on the throne for 60 years, the second longest monarchy in the history of Great Britain. And um, she has no power, does nothing, looks ridiculous, wears stupid hats, but she's still there, and that counts for something and is deserving of enormous multi-billion dollar celebrations. We can all agree on that as a nation. All these problems going on, we should definitely spend billions of dollars to celebrate an old lady who wears hats. I think it's appropriate. There's like a like it's going to be like like a thousand ship celebration out in the river, and the and the queen and the princes are all going to be on a boat waving at other boats. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Also, by the way, it's the Diamond Jubilee, even though it's only 60 years. Diamond's supposed to be 75, but a past queen of England during a time of serious unrest, they needed some positive PR. They changed it from 75 to 60 for her, and they decided to keep it now. So now even most people across the world celebrate their diamond anniversaries at 60 instead of at 75. So we have Queen Elizabeth to thank for that. So when you get a diamond necklace on your 60th wedding anniversary, you can say, thank you, Queen Mother for providing me with this completely unnecessary neck adornment 15 years to the junior of when it should have arrived upon my necked torso. My necked torso? Unnecessary for me to have said any of that, and I'm going to move on from it. President Obama praises George Bush at the White House. George W. Bush returns to the White House... For the portrait unveiling, it's a long tradition of the White House, the former president comes back, and the president gives him a lot of praise. Um, Obama recalled that, that um, his predecessor, after 9-11, stood on that pile of rubble at Ground Zero, conveying resoluteness and strength, and pointing out that his administration's success tracking down and killing bin Laden was due to many people working across two administrations. Quote, that's why my first call was to President Bush, Obama said. On a lighter note, he added, the former president, quote, left me a really good TV sports package. Um, this is news. Obama's first call after killing bin Laden was to George W. Bush, the guy who he and his campaign said was breaking the Constitution, illegally torturing people, created wars that were not supposed to have been created. He calls him first. Oh, George, very exciting news. You can probably not hear it in my lack of excitement because I don't ever show excitement in my voice. But we killed bin Laden. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's, that's, that is fantastic. That is, I'm going to go in the backyard and shoot several animals right now. And then scrub and then clear some brush and bury them in the damn backyard. Woohoo! That's an approximation of the conversation, how it probably went. Um, w took the podium, made a joke in return. Here was his moment at the lectern. I'm also pleased, Mr. President that when you are wandering these halls as you wrestle with tough decisions, you will now be able to gaze at this portrait and ask, what would George do? <laughs> not bad, not bad. W's always been a very likable person when he's not making horrible decisions that are putting America in jeopardy. He's been very likable and charming. That clip also from Meet the Press, by the way. Um... And what's interesting about it, former White House press secretary um, Ari Fleischer under Bush said this about this whole experience. And he said that that they're they're happy now. Let me just read the quote. He says, quote, to get to the left of Hillary during the campaign, Obama said President Bush violated the Constitution. And now he's adopted a lot of the Bush anti-terrorism policies. We're happy that he changed his tune, but he ran on that ugliness in 08. 
And basically, he's talking about how the scars of that campaign run deep. And for Bush loyalists, it's not enough that Obama's come around to their old bosses thinking on these key national security issues. They fault Obama for making too much of the few differences that existed. That's ridiculous because you have to make differences. You have to, it's amazing to actually come around to some of those things, not necessarily for the good of the country. But can beggars be choosers here? How about just be happy that some of your policies are being vindicated, policies that were very beyond what we ever wanted to accept as a country, rights we didn't want to give up that were taken, the Patriot Act that was reinstated by Obama. You still have that. Can we not worry about every single part of it? Um, Waterboarding. He says, Ari Fleischer says, was given up actually years before Obama took office. Obama just made it official. What was at issue and still is are indefinite detention, warrantless wiretaps, secret rendition, Guantanamo, and don't forget, Fleischer adds, Obama started down the path of prosecuting CIA agents who conducted the war on terror. He backed away from it, but it was a horrendous threat for him to make. What they did was legal and approved by the government. And then for a successor to say it was illegal or maybe illegal, would freeze the CIA in its tracks. And he's saying that the Obama administration did not take that into account when they pursued those policies. So um, it's very interesting to see the reality of taking office versus how you campaign and say whatever it is you want because you don't really know what you're talking about. And that was one of the big arguments against Obama is he didn't have enough experience in government, in national government, to really know that. Although, of course, Mitt Romney just a governor of a state, like many presidents are, has zero national politics experience. So, ran for Congress once, lost. So, you know. And um, also, this has been difficult for Obama supporters because they don't like, obviously, that he's still doing a lot of the things that Bush did. And um, he promised he would keep America safe in a way that more vigorously respected the Constitution and the country's values. Newsweek and the New York Times reported on how Obama personally signs off on a kill list of al-Qaeda terrorists prepped by the CIA and the Pentagon, which is very, very similar to the deck of playing cards Bush used to keep score of top terrorist targets when he was president. Um, so all they say is the real difference is that Obama's form of unilateralism, of making moves on his own without permission even from Congress oftentimes, is a lot more effective than Bush's. Obama uses drones much more than troops, and it's a lot more effective. That's what people want, is effective defense, offense on the cheap, especially as measured in American lives. Um, as for politics, George Bush, I think I reported last week, I may not have, um, endorsed Romney while in the, the most unexciting way possible. He was in Washington earlier this month. As he was ducking into an elevator, the doors are closing, and a reporter asks him who he endorses, and he goes... And he goes, I'm with Romney. Doors closed. That was the big announcement. Uh, they're probably not going to ask him to campaign. He's still a bit of a uh, of an eyesore on the campaign trail, a bit of a negative uh, force. Um, people still remember, uh, remember, you know, the horrible debt he ran up and the wars he started and the ruining of our economy that he did. And they don't really want him on the campaign trail, despite how charming and cutest jokes are. Justin Bieber hits a wall. Literally. The Guardian reports Bieber suffered a concussion Thursday when he walked into a glass wall during a surprise secret concert in Paris. He even fainted after the show. Quote, I guess me and glass windows just don't go together, Bieber told TMZ. 
Two years ago, he ran into a revolving glass door. I don't know how you run into a revolving glass door. The thing's spinning constantly. You'd see at least the borders. Um, but I think this is the most important story this week because we need to make certain that Bieber with, with that hair, with that, with that charming boyish good looks, never hurts that face again. And if we as a nation can't rally behind at least putting tape or reflective stickers on all glass surfaces that anywhere could be near the Biebs, where are our priorities as a country? Where do we say enough is enough? This boy has endured so much glass hitting his face. And it's time we take action. Speaking of faces, a man ate another man's face this week. Holy shit, that was a creepy story. Um, you guys may have heard of it. In, in Miami, a man apparently on a drug called bath salts on the side of a freeway got completely naked, apparently made, another homeless, made a homeless man naked, and was eating his face. Um, the attacker has been identified as Rudy Eugene, 31-year-old. He's got a bright future ahead of him, the face-eating man. Um, according to court filings, he had no income and his assets included $2 cash and a $50 cell phone. He was shot and killed by police while he was eating the man's face, but he was shot repeatedly and did not face him whatsoever until it killed him. He was like getting shot while still eating. He's like, oh man, his face eating gives you, sh- gives you sensations of, of, of pain through your back. The victim's recovering the hospital, thank God. Um, police originally thought it was a cocaine psychosis, but... The emergency room doctor said the attack was more likely caused by bath salts, an LSD-like drug popular in the South, especially Florida, of course, because Florida's full of wacko, batshit crazy, insane people who ruin a lot of the country. What are bath salts exactly? Daily Beast broke it down for us. Bath salts is a nickname for a type of designer drug that's sold over the Internet, in head shops, and even at gas stations and convenience stores. They come in the form of capsules, powders, or tablets, and are snorted, injected, or swallowed. If any of you want to get this, please write this down. You can get this drug anytime you want at gas stations. Um, it's called MDPV and Mephedrone, and they occupy a gray area legally because distributors have marketed them as something else, plant food, bath powder, and bath salts. Uh, they've been illegal in the United States since 2010, but the manufacturers avoid prosecution by just slightly modifying the compounds to make them technically legal. 25 to 50 bucks per packet, and you too can have a trip that might end up in you becoming a cannibal. So that's great. And in more cannibal news, last Tuesday, Alexander Kinwa, a 21-year-old student from Maryland, admitted to murdering his roommate, Kujo Bansafo Anye Cody, and then eating his face and, I'm sorry, eating his heart and parts of his brain. Eating his face would be disgusting. So uh, it's a good week. And it made the internet go nuts with the possibility the world's supposed to be ending. Are these people zombies? Are zombies attacking? Is the zombie apocalypse coming? And this forced our government to actually address this question of whether or not zombies are coming. Um... The Center for Disease Control and Prevention released a statement on Friday saying there is no cause to fear the walking dead. Quote, CDC does not know of a virus or condition that would reanimate the dead or one that would present zombie-like symptoms. Agency spokesman David Daigle told the Huffington Post. So thank God 
At least as far as the Center for Disease Control is concerned, zombies, oh my God. Who's that? Who are you? Why are you walking so slowly at me? Why do you look ill? You look ill. Please turn back. No. Ah. Ah. That's my throat. Please. Please. Look, I just bought some bath salts. They're in my car. I'll give you my bath salts. You can have them all. I spent at least 150 bucks on bath salt. You're interested? Awesome. I'm glad we had this talk. You just scratched me, little guys. I've survived a zombie attack. First time in the history of podcasts. Someone's been attacked by zombies, and I survived it, guys. He's coming back. No, he's not. He's, he's heading. He's, he's thought he was going to come back. It looks like he's just tying his shoe. And now he's heading towards my car. I gave him my keys. Is that a bad move? Can zombies drive? And would they drive really, really slow? Or would they be able to at least press the gas and accelerate faster than their incredibly non-scary pace of walking? A lot of earthquakes hit this last week. Two earthquakes hit Italy. One last week, one the week before. Italians everywhere were heard exclaiming, What is happening here? I mean, a second quake in just two weeks is ridiculous. It's too many earthquakes. That was an exact quote from everybody in Italy. And Japan had two quakes as well. There was, it was a six point something in Italy. And then Japan had a 5.2 in eastern Japan on Friday. And a week ago, they had a 6.1 quake in northeastern Japan. Luckily, from all of these, there were no reports of damage, no tsunami warning. And then L.A. had an earthquake. I'm right here in L.A. Apparently, we had a 4.1 earthquake off the coast of Malibu just the other day. I didn't feel it. Apparently, people in Malibu did. Mel Gibson lives in Malibu. Malibu. Reportedly, he thought the earthquake was a Jewish person trying to shake him down for money. So, I think he was wrong about that. Because I don't think Jewish people can shake the whole ground of a city. But then again, it depends how money-hungry they are. And I can say that because I'm a non-practicing Jew. So I can say that, guys. John Edwards, not guilty, slash mistrial. The jury in the campaign finance trial of former presidential candidate Jonathan Edwards, very likable until he became the biggest douchebag on planet Earth, I uh, was found not guilty on Thursday for one count of accepting illegal campaign contributions, and the, the court said the jury said they were deadlocked on the remaining five charges. Edwards went out and spoke to the press and said, "One more thing, um, God, I don't think God's done with me. You might see me again helping in whatever way I can, buddy. Please never run for another fucking office. Are you joking me? Are you joking me? You?" Cheat, you're running for president to save the planet in a crucial time, and at the same time, instead, you were cheating on your dying wife with your campaign documentarian. I'm not even sure documentarian is a word, so look how bad that is. You're making up words while fucking people over, dude. Um, the charges against Edwards, who's 58 years old, arose while he was in the midst of the 2008 campaign. And they're focused on about $1 million in donations from two wealthy donors, Fred Barron and Mellon, a billionaire banking heiress. The money was used to support and hide Edward's pregnant mistress, Rail Hunter. Now, here's the crazy part. Prosecutors argued that the money amounted to illegal and unreported campaign contributions when the federal donations were capped at just $2,300. His defense team, the guys on his side, acknowledged they got the money. But it was a gift that was intended to allow Edwards to hide the affair from his ailing wife, Elizabeth, and from the public. So his defense was, this guy's a douchebag. 
He cheated on his wife. He took a million dollars to hide the shit. That just ain't illegal. And it seems like maybe they're right on that. Uncertain if they're going to re-prosecute the mistried counts. Samsung's new phone can track your eye movements. Say what? Samsung launched the Galaxy S3 smartphone in 28 European and Middle Eastern countries on Tuesday. The company's latest effort to topple the iPhone. The South Korea-based company managed to overtake Apple in sales in the first quarter of 2012, but Apple expected to release their new iPhone in the third quarter. They'll be right back on top. But the Galaxy S3, here's the crazy part, which runs on the Android operating system, can track users' eye movements to keep the screen from dimming while in use. They're going to release it in 296 carriers in 145 countries by July. Um, can we stop letting these tech companies come out with products that track every fucking thing we do for very marginal features? Oh, you want the phone to not dim? Let us record your eye movements. You want to make sure you never miss a text message beep again? We'll record all audio of your entire life. That way, we can replay text beeps. You want this new app to kill an animated bird? Allow us to update and delete all of your contents. Why do we have to agree to delete all fucking contents in our phone to play Angry Birds? Why does it need that permission? Who am I yelling at? I'm in a room by myself. What is wrong with me? I don't know. I'm, I'm a victim of this technology. I'm a victim of this technology. And technology will be the, th the topic of our Twitter answers coming up shortly. But not yet, guys. There's more news. The euro, like we mentioned earlier, is in trouble. But German Chancellor Angela Merkel says no to debt sharing. Germany's chancellor rejected plans to share euro debt Saturday across all the countries in the eurozone, saying broader economic restructuring is needed to get Europe back on its feet. Market watchers pointed to the slow movement by European leaders to rectify this currency crisis as a cause of the economic woes internationally, including a dip in Chinese manufacturing, I alluded to earlier, and a poor U.S. jobs report, which I, we talked at length about and is really bad news for Obama. Um, Obama's attributing a lot of the economic malaise in our country to that. Quote, Obama said, Europe and the cloud, that's recovering, uh, and the cloud, that's coming over from the Atlantic. The whole world economy has been, we can buy it. And it's, I'm working on the Obama impression because it's been criticized recently, and I've been working on it a little bit, guys. Um, but Merkel said, under no circumstances will they share the debt. Merkel's a hard line. She's like, I will not share the debt for the entire Eurozone with my country, Chamonix. And why do they say Chamonix? Like it's a CH in the beginning. It's not Chamonix. You don't spell Germany, C H A M I N Y. It's not Chamonix, it's Germany. Chamonix, Germany, Chamonix, Germany, Chamonix, Germany. My mother, my sister, my mother, my sister. Oh, Chinatown. George Zimmerman's back in jail. On Friday, a judge revoked Zimmerman's $150,000 bond, which he posted in April while he was awaiting trial, after prosecutors accused him of withholding one of his two valid passports and... They said his wife did not tell the court about money donated to his legal defense fund by supporters of $135,000. They kept that secret. First of all, who the fuck is donating $135,000 to protect a man who killed a young teen boy innocently? Even if the guy is innocent, let the court proceedings go. Let them run their course. 
who's sitting there at home being like, I must donate to the murderer? Who are these, who, who are these people? To quote Jerry Seinfeld, if I could. Um, so he's back in jail now. He's got more hair, and he's behind bars. Governor George, Governor George, Governor Walker uh, in Wisconsin, that's the big news story this week, too. And by the time this podcast comes out, the results will be out. But today, as in yesterday, for those of you listening, um, Governor Walker is being is facing a recall election, only the third in the nation's history to recall a governor. Because he's the dickhead who took away collective bargaining rights of unions in the state, has done a lot of, of messed up things against women in the state. He's a total dick. He's totally – he's a Republican governor who just simply, again, cares about protecting the rich and profits of companies and corporations and not the people he's elected to represent. And um, the New York Times reports that the outcome of the election will not just decide the state's leanings on matters of budget, taxes, and policy – and as well as Mr. Walker's career, which has been rising up until this, fast rising, it will also send a message about a larger fight over labor across the country and whether voters are likely to reject those who cut collective bargaining rights, as Walker did, for most of the state's public workers, which set up this whole battle in the first place. Broadly, they say, the results will be held up as an omen for the presidential race in the fall, specifically for Obama's chances of capturing this Midwestern battleground. He easily won in 2008, but Republicans nearly swept the Midwest in the midterm elections in 2010. Um, Walker's a dick, the point of that story, and I hope he definitely loses to his challenger. And we have a Democratic governor in place who won't be a dick to working people. That's my hope. And our last story before we go to Twitter answers is a good one, a nice one, even though there's mixed feelings about it in Egypt. Um, I feel like this is a cathartic story for the planet. The revolution took place in Egypt. We all know that they wanted to oust their host, Mubarak, who led the country for 30 years with an iron fist and was horrible and was, was committed so many human rights abuses against his own people. And he's 84 years old now, and he was just sentenced to life in prison. So that'll last three or four years. But at least he got life in prison. Um, he was ousted during the Arab Spring last year, and uh, his... His trial finally ended, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And a lot of people were happy. A lot of people were upset that he wasn't given the death penalty. And apparently right after the verdict came down, they were transporting him to the jail. He had a health crisis, supposedly. So now he's in a hospital in, in the jail. and was being treated in the military helicopter that was flying him off. Um, also convicted was Habib al-Adli, the government's former interior minister, was sentenced for complicity in the killing of protesters during the uprising in Tahrir Square in the spring of 2011. But Mubarak and his sons were acquitted on separate corruption charges. Judge Ahmed Rafayat spoke, on the culmina- spoke at the culmination of the 10-month-long trial, saying Mubarak's rule had been 30 years of darkness for Egypt, and that, the last, and that last year's protesters were the sons of the nation who rose up peacefully for freedom and justice. Initially, it was greeted by celebrations, like I said, but the joy turned angry, the BBC reports, as protesters clashed with riot police as the crowd learned that four high-ranking interior ministry officials, including former Deputy Interior Minister Minister and Head of State Security, Hassan Abd el-Rahman, had been acquitted completely. Um, That sucks. They They were acquitted. But you got the big guy. So be happy. Try to have a celebration there once in a while, guys, because you can't win them all. And on that note, let's turn to the Brain Trust. 
for Twitter answers. I asked you all this week if life is better or worse with all of this technology in our lives. And some very interesting answers on both sides of that spectrum. At Bob Coopy, C-O-U-P-E-E, said, I would say worse. All these ways to communicate and people seem to talk more but not really say anything more of value. It's interesting, Bob. I hear what you're saying. It reminds me of the scene from Jerry Maguire where Cuba Gooding Jr., is having a contentious talk with Jerry Maguire, and Maguire's frustrated. And he walks off angry, and Cuba shouts after him, You see, that's what you and me are different, Jerry. You think we're fighting. I think we're finally talking. Ha, ha, ha. You know, it's just an approximation of Cuba's vibe, but you get the idea. So I kind of disagree, Bob. I think people, yes, people do tend to be a little shallower with their text language and with their Twitter updates, but... These communications are also leading to revolutions and things like Tahrir Square and places where populations can rise up. And I think we'll just need to learn. It's always going to be shallow people. So before we had people not saying anything privately and watching 12 hours of television and staring at cartoons and video games all day. Now they're doing, you know, a slightly more interactive thing. I think the more social interaction, the better, the smarter we get, the more neural connections we make. That's what I think. At Steboost, S-T-E-B-O-O-S-T said, it's better with tech. I use the internet to order a fleshlight. What would I do if we didn't have the technology to do that? Uh, you'd meet a girl in real life, my friend. Um, not that I have anything against a fleshlight. I've seen them. I've not used them. It was a prop in a movie I shot called The Poltergeist, but I never used them. It looks lifelike and enjoyable. But I'm saying you could have survived without it is all I'm saying to you. And maybe it is going to give you a false sense of security or in your own space, and you won't be as tempted to conquer you know, real conquer the real world and getting women to be attracted to you and then letting you use their their natural flesh light. Turn on your flesh light. Let it shine wherever you go. That was a Neil Diamond spin-off about a vagina toy that I just made up right now for your listening pleasure. At Carly Smash said worse. Because you can communicate so many ways it's insulting when people don't. It's true. Nowadays, you used to have to like call somebody if it rang, maybe answering machine. You could be days, so you get a call back. Now, you text somebody, you don't get a response within 20 minutes. You feel slighted. And uh, what feature I hate on the new iPhone I got is I don't like that people can see when I'm typing the response. At least let me craft something and send it at a moment I, I, I feel appropriate without you knowing that I'm thinking about it, not sending I don't need my neuroses broadcast on a little dot, dot, dot on someone's text message screen. Maui 2007 said life is definitely worse with all the technology we've created. In the 80s and early 90s, life was so much easier. I do agree life was simpler. and There was less to worry about. It was a little bit more Mayberry-ish, a little bit more small town. But I don't know that it was easier. It's much easier now to communicate with each other and to find each other and to do amazing things just from your pocket. You know, our, our, our phones and our pockets are 50 times more powerful, CNN said a few months back, than the government's most powerful computers combined when we landed a man on the moon. That's in our pockets. So that's pretty insane and I think pretty cool. At CamKey, C-A-M-C-K-Y, said better. No matter how much people and the government lie, you will always have the truth in your hand. iPhone. Powerful. 
I like that. It's kind of true. You do have access to the full information so long as we don't get any Internet censorship to pass through Congress. We'll be okay in that respect. At Jeff underscore spin said, clearly it's butter. Better. Damn autocorrect. It's funny. It's funny, Jeff. At Elliot Hammer. Better. Parentheses. I don't want to piss off the machines in case of an uprising. Hashtag last week on Earth. True that, man. I love y'all machines. I got nothing but love. Everything negative I said about you is jokes. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding with you guys. You lovely cold machines. Warm. You're warm machines. At Team Gray Area said, better for big corporations, worse for our youth's tiny brains. Can they even spell whole words? Remember research before Google? I disagree. Three-year-olds can operate iPhones now. That's complex technology. I think that makes our brains exponentially evolve, to be honest. It's just not in traditional ways we used to. And yes, I do remember research before cell phones and technology. It sucked balls. Doing research for a school paper, you had to go to the library, look in a fucking encyclopedia. Oh, here's 30 books that have the full knowledge of human history. Go to the Dewey Decimal System, go look on stacks and climb ladders to get one book. Look at microfiche tapes. That's a bunch of bullshit. I love it now. It's so easy. Now you just have to be creative and do research in more creative, effective ways, not get bogged down in paperwork and stacks of dusty old books. The only thing I miss is sexy librarians. So hot. Librarians are sexy even if they're not sexy. Unattractive women. Librarians, I still want to bang them. Because they're librarians. It's so inappropriate. And they're wearing glasses and heels and their hair in a bun and telling you to be quiet. I'm like, I can't keep the volume in, Mrs. Sandstorm. I don't know, Mrs. Stanser. It's a fictional librarian. It's not a real one. Don't look it up. It's not a real it's not a real one, okay? And our last Twitter answer at BRB Shop. B-R-B-E-E-S-H-O-P said, since I'm answering the hashtag last week on Earth question through a Twitter app on my phone, I guess I have to say better. That's nice of you. And I do agree. This podcast wouldn't be possible without technologies. I have to say it's better. I agree. I get bogged down. It's annoying sometimes how much you have to deal with how many different applications you have to use, but you don't have to. We need to just make some rules. I need to implement, implement that in my own life. Maybe we all should do that. It's like check Twitter three times a day, not 57 times a day. Rules like this might help. Um, before we go into the Thunder Round, a couple quick things. You can follow me at Ben Glebe on Twitter, B-E-N-G-L-E-I-B. You probably already know that if you're listening. Um, hashtag last week on Earth to ask me questions for the podcast. YouTube.com slash Glebe is my YouTube channel. B-G-L-E-I-B. BenGlebe.com is the website for more and my calendar for all my tour dates. And, of course, I'm on Facebook as well, whatever my URLs are on there. Fan page, regular page, you can subscribe to it, whatever you want. Um, also, some of my road dates to remind you, I'll be tonight, Wednesday, June 6th at Comedy Juice Hollywood Improv. June 20th at the Laugh Factory in Long Beach, California. June 21st, Comedy Juice Ice House, Pasadena. June 26th, Comedy Juice Irvine Improv. Um, tickets for all those on LaughStub.com. July 12th through the 14th, I'll be at the Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington. So look out for that. Get tickets on their website. Just Google Tacoma Comedy Club. Or actually, you can, never mind, you can buy it on my website, BenGlebe.com, on the calendar page, on the LaughStub calendar, or on LaughStub. And I'll be in Atlanta at the Laughing Skull at the Vortex in Midtown Atlanta, Georgia, July 19th through the 22nd. So come out. See me live. I will probably also do the first ever live recording of my podcast in Atlanta on that Sunday, probably. So 
Come out to all those shows. You can come out to a regular show and a podcast taping. And on that note, it's time for the Thunder Round. It is the Thunder Round, and we'll start with this. New video technology gives us superhuman vision. It's the superheroes I, ta- I teased earlier. MIT's new video technology shaken things up. Researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology have created what they call Eulerian Video Magnification Software, which amplifies subtle movements through videos to reveal hidden information not visible by the naked eye, such as blood flowing through a face or a human pulse. In other words, um, they might one day through this technology be able to take someone's vital signs purely by watching them via a video. They can actually already estimate them pretty accurately using their technology. They amplify different parts of the color and the lights and the information coming through all the pixels in the video, and they can see tiny, tiny movements that we cannot see. So you can make sure a baby's breathing in the other room, whatever it is. The team of scientists who developed it note that the human eye often can't see these small motions and subtle variations in appearance that offer important clues about what they're seeing. Um, it can also greatly help with crime um, investigations. Their hope, according to their papers, to reveal those temporal variations in videos that are difficult or impossible to see with the naked eye and display them in an indicative manner. Does it give us superhero vision? I don't know if superheroes have to look at the instant replay, but it definitely gives our eyes better eyes through the use of video. Again, technology helping us out. I think overall it's got to be a boon. It's got to be better. Women sell sex for McDonald's hamburgers. An 18-year-old woman is accused of attempting to sell sex for food. Um, this took place in Arizona. And, of course, another crazy-ass state. Uh, Phelan Ritz faces child prostitution charges after she and her 14-year-old friend allegedly agreed to have sex with two men in exchange for meals from a McDonald's in Arizona. This is the second McDonald's for sex story to make headlines in, in just a couple months. In April... 47-year-old Christine Faith Baker was accused of attempting to trade sex for two McDonald's cheeseburgers. The story said, but the young ages of Rich and her alleged accomplice make this arrest stand out. You know what also makes this story stand out? The fact that they're selling themselves for fucking hamburgers. Ask for a gym bag. Ask for a new coat. Something. Know your worth, ladies, is the point I'm trying to make. Um, obviously, you should not engage in prostitution. But if you do... Men or ladies, know that you can get more than a hand. That's the guy's first offer. You're a horrible negotiator. If you think all you can get is two cheeseburgers, at least please tell me you got it supersized. Tell me you got a meal and you got it supersized. That's all I want to know. And another prostitution story? Sure. A famous actress is denying prostitution rumors, the Daily Mail reports. Zhang Ziyi, the star of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the lovely, sweet, beautiful Asian woman in that movie, Denied on Wednesday, rumors are swirling that she had earned $100 million by sleeping with some of China's richest men, including disgraced politician Bo Xilai. According to reports in China, Zhang allegedly had sex with Bo at least 10 times from 2007-2011 in exchange for huge monetary gifts rumored to be at least $1.5 million each time. Her publicist, three-time BAFTA nominee and the star of several U.S.-made films, including Rush Hour 2, called the allegations outrageous. If they're not outrageous, 
if it ends up being true, how amazing is that pussy? $1.5 million, and after it, you're not like, boy, did I blow some money there. You're like, let's do that nine more times. I want to make love to this woman. I can offer you $100 and a free plug on the podcast. We'll see what we can do. Um, good Lord, that is expensive. I would, listen, I would never prostitute myself, okay? I would never visit a prostitute. But if somebody came up to me, and tell me if you agree, tweet me about this, but if somebody came up to you and said, I'll give you $1 million, the indecent proposal, famous question, to bang down, I think I would do it. A million bones? A million dollars. I think I would do it. I would at least, you know, do some acts. I don't know. Just take some bath salts and close my eyes and hope that it finishes quickly. You don't want a guy with great stamina or a person with great longevity when they're when you're doing that. You want like a like a real you want a two pump situation, then pay up. But you know, Green Lantern's gay. That came out this week. Maybe that's why Scarlett Johansson left him. Uh, Earth Two, a new series in DC Comics, the New Fifty Two, which reimagines some of DC's most iconic characters. Uh, the Green Ring Bearer is officially now out of the closet. Alan Scott, the first superhero to bear the name Green Lantern, not to be confused with Ryan Reynolds' Hal Jordan Green Lantern, will be reintroduced as an openly gay man in issue two, released next Wednesday. Not everybody is excited about this. The conservative Christian lobby group One Million Moms, which actually only has 50,000 moms, and hates everybody that does things they enjoy and enjoys their freedoms, Totally hates gay people. The ones that, that protest J.C. Penney for having Ellen DeGeneres as a sponsor. They are very, very uptight people. Um, said, quote, can you imagine little boys saying, I want a boyfriend or husband like X-Men? Because the X-Men got married in a recent issue. And they're saying that they want to indoctrinate impressionable young minds by placing these gay characters on pedestals in a positive light. Um, and as Christians, we know homosexuality is a sin. Uh, first of all, a million things in the Bible are sins. And you've got to stop picking and choosing. Can we at least hold the planet to one moral standard to not be hypocritical? You're being a dick when you are hypocritical. The Bible also says eating shrimp is a sin. So unless you are all non-shrimp eaters, shut the fuck up. Let people be. What it will probably do to have these gay characters in comic books is actually make gay children who, God forbid, would kill themselves or, or would be afraid to ever come out of the closet and embrace who they are. They might see a character they can look up to and say, oh, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay to be what I am. And also, perhaps bullies might see superheroes and it become acceptable to be like, oh, maybe if the Green Lantern and the X-Men are gay, maybe I shouldn't bully this kid. It's another way to look at it. Who knows? Bill Maher bought a $20 million stake in the New York Mets shortly after they get their first no-hitter in history. This is very interesting. Johan Santana pitched against the St. Louis Cardinals a no-hitter, and Maher said he may bring luck to the team. Here's what I'm curious about. A lot of athletes, very religious people. Bill Maher, famous atheist, very anti-religion. Mets have been playing bad for many, many years now. If the Mets win it all this year, does that prove that God doesn't exist? Or that religion's not what it thinks? This brings up a lot of questions I don't think Bill Maher anticipated. Or maybe it doesn't, and it's just all random. Who knows? I don't know. Radioactive bluefin tuna enters the U.S. 
Scientists in California said last week that bluefin tuna had been found to contain radioactivity carried 6,000 miles from Japan, where it leaked into the waters after its nuclear crisis there at Fukushima Daiaki. Quote, we're frankly kind of startled, said Nicholas Fisher, one of the researchers in the National Academies of Science who reported the findings. The levels of radioactive cesium were 10 times higher than the amount in tuna off the California coast in recent years. They say it's still well below the safe-to-eat levels set by both the U.S. and Japan, so that's good news because I fucking love sushi, and I don't think I'm going to stop eating it even though it might be radioactive and give me nuclear waste in my body. I still love sushi that much. Maybe I'll hold off on tuna for a little while. Um, also, those fish swim fast, 6,000 miles. Apparently, they spawn off the coast of Japan and swim at a breakneck pace to the California coast, and they can grow to 10 feet uh, long and weigh more than 1,000 pounds. Or maybe they grow that big because they're radioactive fish. We don't know. We don't know. The first privately owned space capsule enters the International Space Station. This is a big thing. We're finally privatizing space travel. It's been a dream since the Jetsons. And a private space capsule called Dragon soared into the sky last Tuesday, riding a pillar of flame like its beastly namesake on a history-making trip into the International Space Station, the Daily Beast reported. And the unmanned capsule built by billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk in his space exploration technologies company SpaceX is the first non-governmental spacecraft ever to launch and to connect with the International Space Station. And they say this ushers in a new era of partnership between the public and private spaceflight programs. Uh, it landed back in the ocean safely. Um, Scotty's ashes from, from Star Trek. Scotty's ashes were on board. Part of his, of one of his dying wishes. So he was beamed up. I think that's pretty cool. He was beamed up at the end of his life. Um, and the dragon is an unmanned version of a capsule ultimately intended to carry people as well. So we are hopefully uh, about to... Live on the moon. That's the jump I'm making. We're around the corner from living on the moon. We might not be that close to it, but we're close. Um, and our last story on last week on Earth, apparently Kanye West and Kim Kardashian might be moving in together. Apparently they've both separately pocket-listed their houses on the market and are trying to find a house together. I'm glad Kim learned from her recent experiences is not to rush into things. That's good. But I really think that Kim and Kanye moving into the same house is great news for society because now we just have to lock it from the outside until last week, next week. This has been Last Week on Earth. Come back again I want you to stay next time Oh, sometimes the world ain't kind When people get lost like you and me I just made a friend A friend is someone you need That he had to go away I still feel the words that he might say 
This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio.